Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you agree with this statement this morning? You were created for a divine purpose. How does that statement sit with you? Do you agree that you were created for a divine purpose? This morning I was reading over my sermon and was eating breakfast and my daughter came in and she's seven. And I said, hey, Kate, let me run my sermon by you because every preacher's kid loves that. And uh, I said, what do you think about this statement? I said, you were created for a divine purpose. And she said, well, I know Jesus made everything. That's about all I know, dad. And I thought, that's sweet. And she goes, I don't know about the purpose thing. I don't know what that means. Right? And I thought, man, that's so sweet. And there's, there's so much purity in that. I know some things and some things I don't know. Maybe you're similar to Kate this morning. You might say, yeah, I believe I was created. I would assume most of us listening to this, either in person or online, are probably in agreement that we were created beings. Most of us listening probably don't believe that we are some galactic accident and particles collided and created these things that we call our bodies and our ability to think and breathe and speak all at the same time. Most of us are probably okay with saying that I was created. It might be that purpose thing that gets us a little sideways. Like, okay, maybe I agree, yes, I was created, but for a purpose, I just don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Anybody here like country music? It's okay, you can, you know, it's, it's okay. You can identify yourselves as country music fans. So there's a lot of bad country music theology, though. I don't know if you ever listen really through the lyrics of some of that, right? They might tell you, your purpose is just to have fun and live your life, and when you get to the end, maybe, maybe God will be good enough, he'll just let you cross that river into paradise, I think I could write a song with those lyrics, right? That's some bad country music theology. That might be what some people say is your purpose. Just live your life, and hopefully you'll be good enough. The good Lord will let you in when he calls your number, right? Uh, maybe some of you think, well, I did have a purpose at one point in my life. I felt that, but, you know, I've done some things in my life and have kind of negated my purpose. I've, I've messed up. I've done some things I wouldn't want anyone to know about, and so maybe God had a purpose for me, but... Not anymore, I've messed that up. And so maybe for you, you're like, the best thing I can do is just keep my head down and by the time I get to heaven, hopefully God will feel sorry for me and let me in. All right, based on maybe some things that you've experienced in your life. And maybe some of you grew up in church. You could sing the song for all the books of the Bible. You've been to church every Sunday for 50 years and you look back and you say, I'm no closer to my purpose than I was when I was a kid. I've just been, I've been going to church every Sunday. I woke up, it's been 50 years and I haven't discovered anything about myself more than I knew a long time ago. You see, but we were created with a divine purpose. And I want to get into that statement this morning. And really that comes from Ephesians 2 verse 10. Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. And this is what he says. He says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's kind of our key text this morning. If you want the notes to be able to follow along, you can text notes to the number that we've given you, 289-1387. You can fill in the blanks. Some of you, that'll, be really, that'll feel really good. You'll have accomplished something this morning, filling in the blanks. But you can follow along that way if you'd like. If you're online, the notes are available for you right there. And so Paul says, we are his workmanship, created, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in 
them. I've shared this story with you guys before, uh, but 13 years ago this year, my father-in-law was killed tragically in a motorcycle accident. It was a sudden thing, and my wife and I were out to dinner, we get a phone call, we go to the hospital. If you've ever experienced something like that, you know how quickly time can move, and actually how slowly time can move as well. It's this weird moment, so 24 hours later, he's gone. And that was a pivotal moment in our lives, our early married lives, and I'm glad we were actually together and got to experience that together. We grew through that. And a friend at the time wrote a poem to kind of honor my father-in-law's life. And so he wrote this poem and we kind of framed it and hung it on the wall and we had it for a couple of years. And a few years go by and I decided for Christmas one year, I would have that poem put into a piece of artwork for my wife. I thought that would be a nice Christmas gift. And so I thought, hey, I'm gonna find somebody who can do a painting. And I was teaching at the time and one of my students' mothers, one of my students' mother was an artist. And so I commissioned her to do a piece of artwork for me, to take the poem and incorporate it into some art. I kind of told her the story of how he passed and how he lived his life. And she said, well, I'm envisioning him driving off into the sunset. I said, that's beautiful. Whatever your artistic eye sees, I'm fine with. And so she created this piece of artwork. And the idea is that it's a desert sunset and these are the rays of the sunlight reflecting off of a mirror. And And you might look at this and say, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And you might look at this and say, I wouldn't give 10 cents for that piece of artwork. What do you think it's worth to me? What do you think it's worth to me? You see, this is the only one of these that exists in the entire world. You will not find this artwork anywhere else. It's the only one that exists and will ever exist. And so in that sense, it's priceless for me. And, And maybe I'm just thinking some of you this morning need to be reminded that you are like this artwork. You were created. You are his workmanship. God is the ultimate artist and creator and he crafted you. He put you together intentionally. There's not another one of you that has ever existed and will ever exist again. You are entirely unique and you have a purpose and God loves what he creates. You are like a beautiful piece of art. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that this morning. I think that's what Paul is trying to communicate. We are his workmanship. We were crafted by God. In fact, one of the writers in the Old Testament, David, you might be familiar with his name, said it this way. He said, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And so the truth is we are all created by God. Whether you believe in him or not, you are still his creation. He's created you and this life is a gift that we have been given to live. And that's such great news that he crafted us and he he molded us and, and set us out for a purpose. And yet we tend to take that gift, take that life that we've been given and we can kind of squander that, can't we? Some of you are like, yeah, I agree, I was created and God made me special, but I've, I've taken this body places it shouldn't go. And my brain, my mind has thought some things that I shouldn't think, and I've done some things that I know I shouldn't do with that gift God has given me. It's sort of like when you're watching TV and you see a commercial where they take a brand new truck and they drive it over a snowy mountain and through like a rugged trail and across a desert. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, who would do that with a brand new vehicle? Anybody else feel that way? 
All right, I think I need to write a note to them, hire me to do that at least. But I'm thinking, why would anyone do that? And yet it's such a perfect illustration for what we do with our lives. We are this beautiful creation and then we take that creation, this life, places it was never meant to go. And as a result, we get scarred and we get beat up and we get covered in mud. And, and, and we can look at that and say, well, it's not beautiful anymore. It's just a piece of junk. And yet I don't know that that's how God sees it. Right, the good news of the gospel is we're not left in that condition, you see? Yeah, we have muddied up our lives and we've done things we shouldn't have done, but God still loves what he created. And so he doesn't leave us in that situation to just be covered in that sin. No, he makes a new way for us. The good news of the gospel is that we are not left in that condition. Look at what Paul writes before the verse we're looking at this morning. I'm gonna be reading from the message translation. So just follow along on the screen here. Paul says this. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. And he did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No. We neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Right, Paul says that you are, are God's workmanship and then you are created in Christ Jesus. And what he's saying there is that you can actually be born twice. And some of you are like, I don't understand that. Be born, I can only be born once. No, Jesus says you can be born twice. You can be recreated into a new image and that happens through baptism. When we are forgiven of our sins, scripture says we become a new creation. We're not just a better version of our broken selves. We're entirely new people. And so we can actually be reborn. We can be recreated again. You see, God loves us so much that he created us once, but he doesn't leave us in that destruction that we created. He recreates us through his son and through the sacrifice he made on the cross to forgive us of our sins. That's the new life we get to experience in Christ. Here's how Paul says it to the church at Corinth. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so I don't know where you might be in that process in your life, but I'd like to encourage you, if you've never been reborn, if you've never really experienced the rebirth that can only be found in Christ, I would encourage you to do that and not delay. That's what you saw happen in the water earlier. 
new creations. Those people that walked in the water are not the same people that walked out. They're new creations. Counting those two, we've had 18 people so far this year just here say, I wanna become a new creation in Christ. Is that worth celebrating, church? The 18 people, new creations, right? They're not, they're not the same old people. They're new people. They're totally new creations. That's why some of those shirts say, made new, forgiven, set free. You see, they've been reborn, a new creation in Christ. So many times we wanna try to fix ourselves that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so uh, if, if you'd like to talk about baptism, if you'd like to talk about taking that next step, text the word next to the number that you see on the screen. You can do it right where your seat is. You can do it online. Text next. Let us know. Click baptism. and We'll talk you through it. I loved uh, between services, I had a lady come up to me in the lobby and she said, you have no way of knowing this. And she, she kind of unzipped her jacket and she says, look at this shirt I'm wearing. And it says, you were created for a purpose. She said, you have no way of knowing that I was gonna wear that today. I'm like, you're right. I had no way of knowing. Maybe God did. She's like, I'm ready to take my next step. I wanna be baptized. All right, that's surrender. That's what it looks like just to say, I can't do any of this on my own. I wanna surrender to Christ and take that next step. And some of you are like, that's great news, preacher. End it there, right? That's, that's great. We could stop here, celebrate. Woo, we're all forgiven, made new. Let's go home, get to lunch early. Some of you are like, oh, is he serious? Is he really gonna end the message there and... And no, the answer is no. You're gonna have to wait a little bit longer on lunch because you see, that's only half the verse. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that's beautiful. That is the gospel message. But you see, when we are recreated, when we are reborn, we enter into what's called a resurrected life. We are new creations. And so really we have to relearn how to live. You know, when you've got a, a, a baby, they've got to learn to walk. They've got to learn to feed themselves. And they've got to learn how to live that life they've been given. It's similar with us. When we are reborn in Christ, we have to relearn some things, right? Some of our old habits, some of our own patterns, we've got to let those go and relearn, be transformed in him. And, and what Paul shares in the second half of this verse is the resurrection life. It's what Jesus has called us into, right? So many of us want to say, well, I, okay, just, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it, right? Just, just tell me. And I came across this writer that was reflecting on these verses and listen to how he describes what he thinks Paul is saying here. He says, there's something in all of us that demands, what should I do? Just tell me what I need to do. But Ephesians tells us that's the wrong starting point. I should not begin with my efforts. Rather, I should begin by listening deeply to the story of God's gracious salvation in Christ. I begin by seeing myself in this story I begin by leaning back into God's great love, his wealthy mercy and incomparably rich grace. I let the truth that God has saved me by grace be the foundation of my life. I start to see myself as God's workmanship, letting this inspired vision transform my sense of identity and purpose. I think so many of us want to want to, when we, when we become Christians, just start to fix the old us. It's like, it's like you're trying to tinker with a broken motor. It's like, it's just not gonna work. Sometimes you just gotta get a new one. And so sometimes we wanna get self-help books and we wanna do all this stuff and I'm gonna fix my life. I'm gonna change this habit and I'm gonna change this habit and by sheer willpower, I will change myself. But that's not how it works. When we surrender to Christ, we let him do the work in us and we surrender to him. And so we start with who we are in Christ, and that is that you are a new creation, born again. And then we get to do some things. So you don't wanna get it backwards. 
Start with who you are, which will give purpose to what you do. Look at this verse again with me. Right, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right, God has prepared some things for us to do. He has recreated us in Christ and has prepared some things for us to do. And, and maybe you're like me, you didn't grow up with, with this version, this translation. This is the ESV translation. Maybe you grew up with the KJV, which I'm not even gonna try to quote because I'm not a poet. And, or maybe you grew up with the NIV, most likely. Look at how the NIV translates this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as I was researching this, I learned that really the ESV gets more closely to the original language in this passage than the NIV. And can you see the difference? One says that there are works for us to do, like there's a checklist, and we kind of like that, don't we? Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I'll do the good works. Just line them out for me. I like to check off the list, and when I get to the end of the day, I'll feel accomplished. But you see, the original language, what Paul is really trying to communicate is it's not so much about doing the good works. It's about coming alongside of Christ as he does the good works. It's about walking with him. It's not so much about just doing the right things as much as it is a relationship, walking alongside Christ as he does the good works that he's prepared to do. And some of you might be getting tripped out on the whole, you know, God prepared beforehand. And if you grew up in church, you're like, hey, that's a trigger for me because I learned some things and I don't know, does that mean God's uh, decided everything that will ever happen and I have no free will and all this craziness? Right? Sometimes we like to jump off in the deep end and sometimes we drown out there. I don't know that Paul was so much communicating some deep theological debatable statement as he was saying, hey, you're his workmanship. You've been reborn in Christ, and because of that, come alongside us as we do some good work. It's not so much this heady topic that we've got to debate around. Sometimes we let our headiness hinder other people's pursuit of the gospel and pursuit of Jesus. And so just allow the verse to say what it says, and that is that we are created and then recreated in Christ and that God has prepared things for us to do alongside of him. And so that's a beautiful picture. You see, I think really the way we should think about it is this. I know what God has done for me, therefore I want to join his work. It's not, I know what God has done for me, so now I must do things to make up or to seem like I was worthy of that gift. Sometimes we just wanna do a whole bunch of stuff and do the right things because we still feel guilty. We still feel shameful for what we've done. And so really, we come to church and we serve and we do the things that we think we're supposed to do, not because we've truly grabbed a hold of the forgiveness message, but because we think we were never worthy of that gift in the first place. And then we have to do a whole bunch of stuff to make it seem like we were. And I don't know that that's what Paul's communicating. He's saying, no, 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 you've been forgiven. You've been recreated in Christ. And now you are invited into what God is doing. And so you might ask, well, well, what are the good works, right? So, okay, I'm, I'm his workmanship, I'm created. I've been recreated in Christ, great. I believe that. But what do I need to do? Just tell me what I need to do. Don't, isn't that what we all really want? Just someone just, to, just tell me what I need to do. Stop, stop talking in circles, right? Well, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Maybe if we're created in Christ Jesus, then the best place to look to figure out what the good works are that we should be about is to look at what Jesus did. And this week in the 52 book that you've been reading, Jesus kind of summarizes his good works in Mark 10, verse 45. 
It says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what good works was Jesus about? Serving others. I mean, everything he did was in service to others. He washed his disciples' feet. He healed people's diseases. He, he spoke truth. He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, all in service to other people. Right? He kind of summarizes his good work in this one verse. And so if we wanna know what good work we ought to do, I think maybe we just follow Jesus' model and we serve. You know, people may deny Jesus' divinity. People may put put an arm out against that, but what nobody would debate is his service to humanity and his good teaching, right? But that's not all he was. He was fully God and he was fully man and he chose to serve people out of that place. He stands alone as the suffering servant is how sometimes he's referred to. Someone who served even though he was God. And so let me ask you this question today. Are you serving others? I didn't say, are you serving? Because that misses the point. Are you serving others? Are you serving people? And, and here might be a good, useful mental picture. If you think I'm gonna knit you a sweater, it's not gonna happen. I don't know anything about sewing. Could you draw a line between yourself and one other person that you're serving? Could you throw this ball of yarn and hit anybody in this room that you're helping? Or anybody in your community? Or anybody in your neighborhood? or anybody in your home. And it's not about you. I'm not saying that you are saving people. I'm saying you allow God to use you, to come alongside of him and the good works that he's prepared to do. Could you draw a line between yourself and any other person that you're serving? And you might say, well, yeah, I could, I could draw a line between me and my wife, right? I serve her, I love her, right? I would die for her, I, that, I serve her. And you might say, well, yeah, I could draw a line between me and my kids. I love my kids, I sacrifice for them, I do anything. For them. And for that, I would commend you. I would say that is noble, right? Our, the first place we serve is our family. We could serve in this church all day long and, and neglect our families, and I don't know that we would be doing much good, right? The first place we serve is in our family. We serve our spouse and we serve our kids. And yet, even evil people do that. People who don't even follow Jesus serve their family. People who don't follow Jesus still love their wife and they still serve their kids. And so what if you took your family out of the equation? Take, take your wife and your kids out of the equation. Could you draw a line between yourself and any other person that you are serving? Can you see their face? Could you connect yourself to one other person at least that you are serving? Maybe a question to help you determine if that line exists or not is this question. If you stopped serving, whose life would change? If you stopped serving, whose life would change? What line would be severed? What line would be disconnected if you stopped serving someone? And for some of us, seeing the people we serve is a little easier than others, depending on where you tend to serve in your life. Right, but I wanna convince you that there's no place too small to serve that you can't create a direct connection to somebody else. Uh, maybe, maybe a warm cup of coffee handed by a volunteer in our coffee corner with a smile on their face to a single mom who barely made it to church communicates, I see you and I care about you. 
here's a cup of coffee. I wonder what that could do in that woman's soul. Just a simple warm cup of coffee with a smile. I think there's a line now drawn. Uh, It could be as simple as holding open a door at church and telling someone, good morning, glad you're here. There might not be another soul in this universe that tells them that ever. They're like, my kids didn't even tell me that this morning, right? Maybe, maybe you, you tell one of the kids upstairs, maybe you volunteer with our students or our kids and you, you tell them, hey, good morning, I'm so glad to see you. I truly believe there are probably kids here this morning that don't have an adult in their life that tells them that regularly, that I'm happy to see you. That's a direct connection to another person. Maybe, maybe handing food out during the week in, in our food line, maybe handing that out Tell somebody, hey, I care as much about your empty belly as I do your salvation. You see, now there's a direct line. There's a connection to another person. A mentor who sits in someone's living room and says, hey, here's some things I've done well. Here's some things I've really messed up. You should learn from me and not repeat these things. That's a direct connection to someone else. You might say, well, I'm not engaged with people. Maybe you're on social media. I can't tell you how many stories we've heard over the last couple of years of people who have watched us online and then made their way toward this place and ended up in the water and becoming a new creation. Or they were invited by a friend on a Facebook post about some event we were having and it came from like a non-judgmental spirit. You know, social media can be great if you're not judgy, you know, but people can read that, they can interpret that. So non-judgmental post, inviting someone to a church event could go a long way in direct creating a connection with that person. Can you see what I'm describing? It's not about being a preacher on a stage. It's not about being a musician with a song. It's about living a surrendered life that says, I know I'm God's workmanship. He created me and I've been recreated in Christ. And because of that, I wanna serve others. And so I wanna, I wanna be connected to all kinds of people. I saw a really interesting map. Uh, you might be familiar with the, uh, the awakening or the revival that's happening in Asbury. It's been all over the news, right? And I saw this map, they put a pin in the map where the college is, and then they just connected yarn to all the different places people have come from to visit, and it's all over the world. People from Europe, Asia, Australia, all connected back to this one little dot, and I just thought, how amazing would it be to kind of get to the end of my life and and see, like, that's kind of how we lived. There's just these connections all over the place, and it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about letting God use us to serve other people. Because I toss the ball to somebody, I toss this yarn to somebody, then they toss it to somebody else, and they toss it to somebody else, and now there's this web of people who have been influenced for change. I hope you can see that it's not about necessarily where you serve, it's about how you do it and why you do it. And and I know for some of you listening, you're like, hey, uh, you're preaching to the choir here, I already serve, I've been serving forever. And might I encourage you, if you've, you've been here for a while, if you've been in church for a while and you are serving, keep why in the front of your mind, why you serve. Why you serve might be more beneficial than what you're doing. In fact, I'd give you this encouragement. I would say, try to see the people you are serving, not just the task you are doing. See the people you are serving, not just the task that you are doing. Before I got into this job and before I got into teaching, before this one, I had a job that I hated. Anybody have a job they hate? Bunch of liars. <laughs> We've all had that job, right, where you're like, I, I can't stand to go to that place. In fact, I had a job once where I thought I'd rather run my car off the road 
than spend the next eight hours in this prison. Right, I mean, anybody ever felt that way? You're like, I do not wanna go to work today. I've only had that feeling once since coming here. Anyways, I'm, I'm kidding with you, I'm kidding. So, I mean, there were days when I thought, I would rather run my car off the road and be careful what you wish for because that actually happened once. It's a great story for another sermon. And so, sometimes, coming to church, sometimes serving, I think, can feel like that job that we dread going to, but we do it anyways. And so you might find yourself, you're 20 years into a certain area you've been serving and you hate it. You'd rather puke than have to go do this thing and yet you continue to do it out of a sense of obligation and actually you're miserable and really no one's benefiting from you being there. And so I would encourage you, if you are serving somewhere, really reflect and ask yourself, is this the best place for me to be? And and reorient yourselves and, and remind yourself that I am God's workmanship, I've been created and I've been reborn in Christ and therefore I have an opportunity to serve others, not an obligation. Don't let serving in the kingdom become like a job you hate and you do for 30 years and then you look back and your life's over and you missed out on the opportunity of really connecting with other people. See the people you are serving, not just the task you are doing. And some of you are like, well, that's great, but I don't even know what I'm good at. I don't even know where to serve. I don't even know how to get started. So I wanna give you a tool that might be useful. If you've got a phone, you can take a picture of this. I believe it's on the notes handout. You could sketch it on a piece of paper if you wanted. This comes out of our Rooted workbook. Any Rooted people? There you go, all right. All right, trying to find where you best serve. And the way this graphic works is, is that basically your purpose can be found at the intersection of these things. And so let me ask you some questions this morning. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? What what gets underneath your skin? Sometimes those can lead to some passions we have. Are you passionate about people? Are you passionate about technology? Are you passionate about uh, working with kids? What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about politics? That can be a great thing. It can also be a deadly thing. Right? I think there's a whole lot of people who are passionate about politics and if they would rather just channel that energy into something positive, the world could change. And yet instead we just yell across the aisle at each other via Facebook so we don't have to do it face to face and there's a lot of unrestrained passion when it comes to that area but that's an area where we need to see God work. So maybe you're passionate about something. What is it? And then ask yourself, what am I good at? What, what skills has God created within me? Now, there are unique gifts we get as we accept Christ, but I'm talking more about just what are you naturally good at? Are you a people person? Are you good with technology? Have you developed a skill in your profession that could translate into the kingdom? What are you good at? What skills do you have? And then ask yourself, well, what's my story? What are my experiences that I can use to help other people? This is kind of the curveball. We don't always get to, to, to um, have a lot of control over this one, do we? Sometimes life just throws things at us, but if we're, if we're attentive, we'll learn a lot through it. So what's been your story? What's been your experiences? And who do you know? Who do you know that you could connect with and begin to start serving? Now, I will caution you, don't do this alone. <laughs> because I think maybe you might end up like one of those American Idol contestants where they think they're really good at singing, but no one ever told them they're not. And so they show up on a platform and sing in front of millions of people and you're like, oh my goodness. No one ever loved them enough to tell them not to do that. 
They might have a lot of passion and they might have sang at a bar once, but they don't have much purpose in that area. All right, don't do this alone. Go through this tool with your small group this week. Uh, ask a trusted friend, a mentor to say, hey, ask them this question. Say, what am I, what am I passionate about? Ask them to tell you, because sometimes we're blind to our own passions. You say, hey, tell me, what, what am I passionate about? And ask them, what am I good at? What do you see in me that I'm, I'm good at? And how can I use my story to help other people? You see, coming alongside of someone, helping you discover this is useful. And if you don't have someone that you can do that with, if you don't have a group that you can do that with, let us know. Call the church office and say, I need someone to help me find my purpose. And we'll, figure, we'll find someone to connect you to and to say, hey, listen to this person. Just let them tell their story and see what you learn from it and how you can model that. You see, I think we were created with a purpose. I think you were created for a divine purpose. And we find freedom and joy walking in that purpose, acknowledging that we are his workmanship. We've been crafted and we've been reborn in Christ and we've been given the opportunity, not the obligation, the opportunity to come alongside of him and to join him in the good work that he is doing. Uh, the other day, one day this week, I, um, I was having lunch with some volunteers that work in an area I oversee. They're, they're faithful volunteers and I wanted to thank them for serving and also give them another opportunity. That's church code for recruit them. Um, and so I wanted to give them an opportunity to kind of use their story to help others. And, and we're over at the Hillview Diner and we're sitting there eating. And, uh, and we look up, the three of us look up and there's a lady sitting over at the counter top. And we're like, she goes to our church. And we're like, what's her name? That's a big place. So it's, sometimes it's a lot of names. Between the three of us, we figured it out, just so you know. And so as we get up to pay the bill, we walk over to her and we're like, hey, you know, use your name like we're best friends. And, and she'd only joined the church a few months ago. And uh, she's like, I'm in here all the time. I'm like, that's cool. And so I go over to the cash register and I'm paying the lady. And she said, hey, that lady you were just talking to gave me a book. And I said, she did. She goes, yeah. I said, did it have a big 52 on it? She said, yeah, that's the one. I'm like, yeah, we're going through that as a church. You're welcome to join us in person or check it out online if you want. She's like, oh, okay, okay. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go over and tell this church member, great job for just doing what we've asked you to do, you know, giving the book. And so I walk back over and re-engage in conversation. And she said, I just love coming here. And when I'm here, I just try to minister to people. Apparently she's very regular. Like she knows everyone in that place. And she said, I just like to serve people when I'm there. And she started to tell a story of a few weeks ago. She sits basically in the same kind of countertop chair. She sits right there. And she said, this guy walked in a few weeks ago and just sat down next to me. And she said, I decided whoever sits next to me is who I need to talk to. And she said, I leaned over to him. He looked a little distraught. And, I, and she asked, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, sure. And so she closes her eyes and prays. And when she opens her eyes and looks at him, he is full of tears. She doesn't know this guy. He's full of tears and he says, you have no way of knowing this, but I just came here from the doctor's office and they told me I have cancer. That's what it looks like, church. That's what it looks like to live a resurrected life, to just surrender our time, our money, what we're good at and just say, God, how can you use me to serve other people? You think there's now a line between her and that guy? Now she may never see him again and that's not the point. The point is she just surrendered and was obedient and prayed for this guy. And I hope you'll join in that same work. 
I hope you'll come alongside her and alongside Christ as he does the good work that he set out to do and we get to be a part of it. That's an amazing opportunity that we have. So the band's gonna come and they're gonna sing a song and I'm actually gonna invite you just to stay seated for a moment and just use this as a time of reflection. Just to reflect on, am I serving others? Is there any line between me and another person? And if I stopped serving, who would even notice? Whose life would change? And maybe you need to make that decision to really be reborn in Christ. I hope you take some time and reflect on that too as we just kind of just have a moment where we just kind of posture our hearts toward God and just listen and ask him, what do you want me to, what do you want me to do? Let's pray together, church. God, thank you so much for creating us. There's so much comfort in knowing that, that we are created. And when something's created, it's cared for. That means there was, there was love involved. So thank you for loving us and creating us, putting the breath in our lungs and, and the hearts in our chest and the thoughts in our minds. God, forgive us for when we have failed to use that gift to bring you glory. We've all done things that we know we shouldn't. We've thought things that we know we shouldn't have. And yet you don't leave us in that condition. You sent your son. And that if we believe in him, we would have new life. So thank you for recreating us in Christ, for allowing us to be reborn in him. And thank you for the opportunities that you give us to serve others around us every day in every situation, whether it's here or in our community or at work or in our home. Help us all to just join you, walk with you in the good works you've prepared for us to do. Help us to reflect on what it is you're calling us to do. I believe all of us, like the lady who talked to me in the lobby and said, I need to make my next step. I hope we all consider what that might be and how we could serve you while serving others. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen.